While we were yet sinners, Christ died. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the redemption. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for the hope that lies within us. Thank you that we can gather here as your people to remind each other, to proclaim with our mouth what we believe in our heart. Lord, that you are true, that you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, before you have a seat, say hi to somebody you don't know. place to sit for you. If not, you can remain out there. Go ahead and take a seat, everyone. I want to wish you a good morning and a happy Independence Weekend. My name is Amy. If we haven't met, I am part of the staff here at Sierra Bible, and I am here to welcome you this morning and make sure you know what's happening here um, at Sierra Bible Church. If you are new or if you are visiting, we do have a gift for you. It's going to look like this. It is a Mark scripture journal. We are in the book of Mark. This is a nifty note taker. And there's also a coupon in there for drink, coffee, do stuff. Uh, Last service, I I reminded them about this and I realized I said, you know, if you're new and so forth, but if you're visiting and you know, maybe you don't come here regularly, um, but you've been here before, maybe you don't consider yourself brand new, that's okay, we want you to have this gift. So you are also a part of that. Please grab that if you haven't already. Uh, if you are in junior high this morning, there is no junior high, which we normally do meet second service, but we do not on communion Sunday. So if you sent your junior high kid over there, they will be coming back and they will need to sit next to you. Uh, if you are also visiting, we do have children's church. If you're not familiar, that's next door as well. If you prefer your children to sit with you, kudos to you. All right. So uh, that's what's uh, going on this morning. What's coming up in the next couple weeks, we have Vacation Bible School. Uh, if you're not familiar, it's already coming next week. We have about 70 to 80 kids already signed up. And so with one week left for signups, we could get 100 kids. I don't know, maybe more. We are outnumbered. There are more children than volunteers. And so I encourage you to volunteer if you haven't, and we'd love for you to be there the whole week, but honestly, if you can only be there a day or two, um, you're welcome to do that as well. I know July is a busy month, but you can register your your child. If you haven't already, you can register to volunteer also online. That's happening next week. All right, something else happening in a couple of weeks is what we call our boot scoot hoedown. I know, I don't know, you don't like it? Someone spent a lot of time working on that, okay? 
Boot Scoot Hoedown. All right, this is a really fun event. It's for everyone, and it's going to be in about three weeks. We have it here next door and outside. It's a, it's a time of fellowship and food, and it's square, is it square dancing? Or what? Line dancing. I said square dancing last time. It's line dancing. Okay, so there's a guy. He's called a caller. He actually calls out the, the, the moves for you, and so you can, like, do it by listening to him. It's like this. And, uh, and so it's a lot of fun. And so we'll get you more information about that. But that is coming up in three weeks. Uh, last thing, if you are uh, in high school, we have high school camp. Uh, so junior high already happened. You missed that. But high school camp is at the end of this month. Information at the info booth in the back as well. And you can sign up there. Uh, if you haven't noticed, we have an app. And on that app, we have a youth calendar. And that youth calendar has uh, our Wednesday night service for junior high and high school. But it also has all our summer activities. We have uh, movie nights coming up. We have lake days, beach days, and so forth. And so there is a specific youth calendar if you're not aware. All right, so those are the things happening this month. We would like all of you to come, every single one of you. All right, so let's get started in the book of Mark with Pastor Jesse. Okay. Good morning. Happy, I think we're still free day. Celebrate that tomorrow. Do that tomorrow. I think we're still free. We're here today. We get to worship without persecution this morning, so thank you, Jesus, for that. Those of you who are excited, I appreciate that. Those of you who didn't clap, you're probably out of town. We're glad to have you here, too. I'm just kidding. Hey, as Amy mentioned, my name is Jesse. I want to welcome you. Thank you for being here. Uh, I want to mention just a couple things real quickly before we dive in that are pretty neat. Uh, one, you uh, notice, obviously, we have painted the building. Most of you have liked it and appreciated it. My uh, son, my 11-year-old, he's let me know how much he hates it. So uh, I don't need any more complaints. I have one living with me. So... Uh, I think most of you are thankful for it. I'm thankful for Joe and Abby who uh, helped kind of really spear that out. Yep. Uh, Joe will be up here in a minute, I think. Um, A couple, actually, it's probably been a couple months now. I made a mention that within a lot of the churches within our district, uh, I sit actually on a board of about 100 churches between California, Nevada, Utah, Guam, and I feel like I'm missing one, Hawaii. And... um, in our particular uh, district and beyond that, I had shared with you the sad statistic that in uh, American churches right now, they are, uh, are calculating right around or recording right around two, I think it was 2.1 conversions per church per year. Uh, so the statistic of, of, hey, we share our faith, about two people in every church get saved. Uh, and that's, we don't want to, we definitely don't want to be on that. And so I thought it would be good to share with you in the last month. We've had seven young people come to the Lord here at our church and through our events and stuff. So um, that's pretty neat. And then we have in August, we, a couple, I meant to say this in the first service. I knew I was forgetting one. Many of you have continued to ask me why the tent is out here. And if we're going outside, no, we're not going outside. Uh, for those of you who care and those of you who don't, we're not going outside. That's four events. But we do have an event where we go down to West End Beach in August, and we'll do baptisms then. So if you, anyone wants to be baptized at that time, please contact the office if you want to be baptized at Donner Lake in the lake, and uh, we'll make sure that we get you on the list. Uh, this morning, I'm going to ask uh, Joe and Abby 
Casey to come on up with their beautiful little baby, Annalise, and anybody else that they want to have join them. I don't know if you got the other girls coming up too, but uh, baby dedication time. That's what we get to do this morning. Okay, so if you're not aware, I've been bugging Joe about this. Joe absolutely loves being on stage. It's his favorite. And uh, no, get up here, dude. And this is his lovely wife, Abby. And yeah, give them a hand for sure. So for those of you who don't know, uh, Joe actually, he got saved here at SBC and he's at, uh, he's on staff. So Abby actually basically coordinates basically all the nuts and bolts of what happens next door for Children's Church. So if you have a kid next door, you can thank her for her hard work and dedication. She's also an amazing teacher. And uh, man, I think it was like six years ago or seven years ago, I told Joe, I said, I think you're gonna end up on staff at SBC one day. And he was like, no, I don't, I don't even know if he remembers that conversation. I'm, 10 years ago, thir- 13, 20, it was 20 years ago. 2013, he says with his hand. Uh, and, uh, and man, he, he, he actually just, so, you know, he took Brad Franklin's position. He oversees the building. So he actually coordinated all of the paint and stuff. I actually joked that if someone complained about the painting, they would just talk to Joe because Joe picked the color. And, uh, <laughs> which he is appreciative of. <laughs> um, and then he helps oversee all of the finances. So he, he develops our financial reports and, and all of that. He's the one who gets together your giving statements. And they have been an amazing asset uh, to the team. And it has been a huge blessing to see them continue to thrive and do well. As I mentioned, seven young folks giving their lives to the Lord. We'll grow through evangelism and we'll grow through procreation. Whatever it takes, we're going to do it. So I want to pray for Annalise. And how we do this is it's kind of unique. We see this as, as a type of relationship and covenant when we dedicate a child. When we dedicate a child, we're essentially saying, hey, Lord, we know that this individual needs to make a personal choice to follow you one day. But we would ask that you would bring this young little girl to salvation. And that in doing so, you would use our church for that. You'd use their family for that. And that what they're doing, when a family does this, what they're doing is they're covenanting with you. They're promising with you. Essentially what they're saying is, hey, we know we can't raise children on our own all by ourselves. We know we're supposed to live faith together. And so they're making a promise to you to raise their child according to the gospel and the word of God. And then we would ask you to do the same. And so much like a marriage, we do it kind of in that way, like a covenant. And so Joe and Abby, would you covenant with your church family to continue to walk with Jesus closely and to teach little Annalise all there is to know about Christ and the word of God? Yes. <laughs> He's, this is as, this is as excited as he gets. <clears throat> church. Well, I ask you the same way. For those of you who, this is your church family. You're here week in, week out. This is uh, part of, of, of your life and you know them and you want to walk with them. I want to ask you, would you be willing to hold them accountable, to guide them according to the word and the gospel of Jesus Christ? Would you covenant with Joe and Abby in that? And the church said, yes. yes. All right. Well, let's see if she'll let me hold her. Hello there. <laughs> What do you think? 
Let's pray. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, thank you so much for what you've done in the Casey family. It is something that is God-honoring, God-glorifying. And we thank you for this new life. And we thank you for little Annalise, that she would walk with you, know you, and that this church would be used to help her grow close to you. And that you would do the same for Joe and Abby, Lord, that we can strengthen them as a community and they would help strengthen our community. And we trust you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. The church said, amen. I give him a hand. Love you, Thank you. Love you. Okay. You guys ready? Getting the word? You don't have a Bible? Raise your hand. One of the ushers will hand you a Bible. Turn to Mark chapter 6. That's where we're at this morning. Mark chapter 6. If you have the ability, the desire to stand for the reading of God's word, I want to encourage you to do that now. As we read from chapter 6, the second segment of this passage, verse 7. And the gospel reads as such, chapter 6, verse 7. He, that is Jesus, called the twelve, and he began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and to put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. If any place will not receive you, And they will not listen to you when you leave. Shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out, and they proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed them with oil, many who were sick, and he healed them. Lord, in this passage, you, in a great amount of faith, have equipped, poured into, loved, and trained your followers. And then after your example has been set and sure over the last six chapters here, you commission them to be an extension of your arms and your feet and your message. Likewise, I pray that you would equip us to do the same. And we trust you for it. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. You can be seated. Okay. If you haven't been here, we have been walking through this gospel. A gospel that reads a lot like a comic book in that it is fast, it is sweet, it is to the point. It carries with it a picture and then another picture and another picture and the story moves quite well. Tithing in and weaving in some of uh, some very similar ideologies and theologies and doctrines in the text and and what we are, where we're at now in chapter 6 really is a, a continuation of the first several verses we read last week. So if you weren't here last week, we followed Jesus back to his hometown of Nazareth. He traveled about 25 miles to this hometown in which he grew up in. A town that was quite small, anywhere between 150 to the most, at the very most, in Jesus' day, 500. Everyone knew everyone, and everybody knew Jesus from the time that he had grown up. 
And in this particular place, Jesus takes his disciples back to his hometown, I'm sure in his humanity, hoping for a a great reception, but that is not what he gets. Instead, we see, if you just go back in that particular passage, we see in verse 6 of chapter 6, Jesus has marveled at the lack of faith of the people. Previously before that, it says in chapter 6, verse 2, the people were astonished at what Jesus was teaching. The crowds and Christ are both baffled by one another. Who is this man? How is it that they aren't believing upon Jesus? Last week, we saw several implications of unbelief. Remember, Jesus was marveling at the fact that this home crowd, his family, did not believe in him. By way of reminder, we saw that unbelief obscures the obvious unbelief will elevate the non-important if you remember they stated is he not just a carpenter or are these not his brothers and his sisters amongst us they elevate the non-important their unbelief attacked the messenger and their unbelief rejected supernatural power jesus is rejected quite literally by his family and his home crowd those who should know him best despise him the most And on the heels of this, we enter into the next segment of this particular passage, which falls upon for us in chapter 6, verse 7. Notice it says that Jesus called. This is the reality for all who would follow Jesus. There is a calling. A voice has gone forth, whether it's a still small voice, the voice of a preacher, the voice uh, while in prayer, the voice while in personal study, a voice maybe in the line at the bank, whatever it may be, Jesus has called his disciples to himself that they would be sent out. This is always how it works. Jesus calls us in that he would then send us out. We must be with the Lord to be sent out by the Lord. And the hope The purpose of this particular passage of Jesus sending out his disciples two by two is to be an extension of Jesus. It's also, if you remember in the previous section, Jesus has given them an example to live by when you share the gospel, when you share God's word and there is opposition, he knows exactly what that opposition is like. He's walked with it. He he has tasted it. He knows what it is. And he's now using that past example to equip his disciples to walk in the world by faith to proclaim the gospel. This morning's message is just simply titled, Live by Faith. That's what these disciples are to do on mission. That's what you and I are to do on mission. So I think we probably should do a little work defining faith because you may or may not know what it is, or at least you've heard it a lot, and maybe you've, you've forgotten some of the simplicity or the depth of what faith is. Last week, I had actually shared with you, you've heard me say this on multiple occasions, that everyone in the world is, is what we would call not, not worship neutral. Right? It's the explanation that all of us will give our, our attention, our, our love, our adoration to something or someone. Or uh, another way to put it, when the world starts to fall down around us, we will all run to a certain whatever for our help. I'll give you a sad example. One of my high school friends I grew up with just got the sad news that he thought he was taking what he thought was a, a normal dose uh, of, of substance 
found out it was laced with fentanyl, I'm sure you're all aware, and he lost his life. The reason I share that story is because knowing who he was and knowing a little bit of his story, he had a sadness in his life, a brokenness to his life that he decided to worship or run to faith in for his healing or at least to numb the negative emotion. All of us live by faith. It's part of being human. And you mentioned, I mentioned last week, I think you remember, uh, that, that none of you, as far as I know, when you walked in, looked underneath your seat to make sure it would not fall. Anybody? Matt, did you check your brake line on the way here today? Oh, man, you're, you're living fast and free with your life, bro. You got to get under that car. You got to check the brake line. You got to check your oil. How many of you checked the oil in your car in the last six months? Let alone when you drove it here. We all live by faith. The reason I share this is because to not live by faith has disastrous implications. One cannot live without faith. One can't get up every morning and go through and, and check every box to make sure there's no gas leak in their house and, and to make sure that the brake line's okay in the car and that it's got all of these things that are put together. No one's checking at the engine. If you didn't live by faith, you would go crazy. We're not worship neutral and we're not faith neutral. We will put our faith in something. And Jesus makes it really clear that which you put your faith in, that which you give yourself to, is what you will become like. And that's why Jesus says those who see, they're actually blind. Though they hear, they're actually deaf. Why? Because you become what you worship. You become what you believe in. In fact, in Romans chapter 14, verse 23, it literally says this. This is a hard word for us maybe to hear this morning. That which does not come from faith is what? sin. Right? This is to say that, that you can evangelize, you can do a bunch of good things, you can be a moral, astute person, but if you do it without faith, it matters not. Hebrews eleven six, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You see, the unbelief, unbelief, a lack of faith leads to great destruction. Faith leads to life. What Jesus is involved in here, literally through his process of healing and forgiving, is to restore humanity to humans. When you give your life to Christ, when you put your faith in Christ, he makes you more human. When you put your faith in anything other than Christ, it dehumanizes you. This is why celebrity culture worship is so dangerous. The last thing we need is a bunch of Cardi B's running around the world. All right. <laughs> Let's continue to dive in a little further into this idea of faith. And then from the text, I'll show you the areas in which they live by faith. If you have a, a Bible in front of you, and I hope you do, turn to it to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And I'm going to use... This isn't the only passage you could use. You could use Hebrews 11, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But this particular passage, I think, gives us a really kind of clear and concise definition, or at least picture, of what faith is. So here's, again, here's the hope that you and I would practice great faith, that we would live the way these disciples live, that the world would be changed the way that the disciples changed it. And this is how Paul writes about faith in this passage. To this end, we always pray for you. 
that our God may make you worthy of his calling. There it is. There's the calling. It's the first piece. He calls us in that he will send us out. So now Paul in Thessalonians says, we need to be worthy of this calling. How are we made worthy of it? That we may fulfill every resolve and every work of faith, work of faith by his power so that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. There's three pieces here that help us understand faith. The first, we say, what is faith? According to this particular passage, it is a resolve for good. A resolve literally means to have a desire or a pleasure or satisfaction to do that which is good. As Christians, we should care greatly about doing the things that God has called us to do. And we would do those things that God calls them good. And we would do good. Amen? Anytime you're doing something good and it's trusting in the power of that faith, that's what he says, by his power, you're living by faith. Notice the word work by faith. This is trusting God to, to accomplish his will, but we do put some kind of effort in it. It requires at times for you to get up early in the morning by faith to go bed earlier in the evening by faith, to eat a little less food every now and then by faith, to work out every now and then by faith. And right, the idea when you live by faith in these things, you don't automatically see the result, do you? I mean, if I'm honest, if I've missed a month at the gym and I go back and then I go home, I look in the mirror and I'm like, yep, I did it. I accomplished all my goals in 30 days. It doesn't work that way. It takes time. And number three, Faith aims to give glory to Jesus. That's its goal. Not to elevate man, not to elevate a church, not to elevate a denomination. One of the things I argued in the first service, I'll argue it with you this service, I just think we should get rid of all celebrity preachers. And I'm not in control of this, okay? And I know I get in trouble for it. And I know celebrity preachers have done a lot of good. But no man on this planet has ever been made to carry that kind of influence except for Jesus Christ. What does faith aim at? Its aim is to make Jesus look glorious, appetizing, beautiful, someone that we want to run to. And then as we enter into Hebrews chapter 11, we find all of these men, just like the disciples, men and women in Hebrews chapter 11. These are men and women in this particular passage, if you were to look at it. Uh, it's also called the Hall of Heroes or the Hall of Faith. These are the people who accomplish much for God by faith, that they are made righteous by faith. And if you go through the list, you realize these guys, these gals in the list are a mess. One of them is a harlot. One of them is a murderer. And in that particular passage, we see these men were made righteous, pure, clean because of their faith. What's the lesson here? Lesson number one. We need to see men and women beset with weakness, poverty, and difficulty. To know that our faith is not dependent on our strength, our wealth, or how positive one may think, but rather our faith is an assurance for things hoped for. 
Okay, let me give you this definition as we kind of tease it down and narrow it down, and then we talk about how we live by faith in the text. Faith is the assurance of that which is hoped for. The definition, according to Hebrews 11, actually goes on and also says, not only is faith the assurance of things hoped for, assure, how many things this morning are you sure of? Are you sure about the economy? Are you sure about the gas prices and the home prices? Are you sure about where the COVID-19 is at? Or maybe it's the monkeypox coming down the pipe. Are you sure about these things? Are you uh, uh, unfettered with these things? Are you scared of these things? Or do you have assurance and the hope that Jesus gives? What is that assurance? I am sure that I've been forgiven of my sins. I am sure that Christ is one with me and I am one with Christ. I am sure that he died for me upon the cross. I am sure that he cares about my life and my family's life. And I am, as the definition continues, convicted of the things that I don't see. I am convinced that Jesus is in this room, whether you see him or not. And I am convinced that if you open up your heart to faith, you will hear him speak to you this morning. And I am convinced in faith that if you say, Jesus, save me this morning, he will save you this morning. If you've come to just visit, surprise, we want to convert you. We want you to know Jesus. We want you to know the forgiveness of Christ, the reconciliation that Christ brings back to God the Father. This is what Jesus is trying to do with these two men. You are not perfect. You live by faith and you go into the world and God will change the world because faith is powerful. And my friends, when we start to live by faith, faith becomes very, very courageous and it becomes very contagious. When we live by faith, we get bold. We, to a certain degree, become a little bit of intimidation to the culture because we're going to live by convictions. Right? Even though I can't see certain things, I know that God is taking care of them. One definition says, faith is believing God's word. Listen, I like this definition. Believing God's word in order to lay hold of things that are promised and make them real in our, in our lives. Faith is, this is why I've said it before. Let's say it again. You've got to know the word of God. You cannot proclaim and speak back to your savior of the promises that you're not aware of that are guaranteed for you in faith. You have access to things that are beyond your comprehension. And we can change the world. And this is the possibilities being opened up in verse 7 as Jesus then takes these disciples who have just seen Jesus rejected. And on the heels of his rejection, Jesus says, okay, now it's time for the two of you to become the foundation of the church. Two by two. And these apostles will become the foundation that the church is built upon. This is an important passage. This is foundational church passage stuff. This is Jesus calling his men to himself. He's walked with them. He's guided them. He's been an example to them. And now he's giving them the opportunity, just as he's given our church and you this morning, the opportunity to change the world. And that's what these men do. What ways do they practice their faith? Here's number one. The first way they practice their faith, as well as we should, is they have faith in his authority. Do you see it right there in the text? He called the 12, began to send them out two by two, 
and he gave them authority. My friends, do you know? Come on, we need more of this in our culture. We need more of this in our church culture. Amen with me here, folks. Come on, let's get crazy. Let's, let's turn Pentecostal for just a couple minutes. <laughs> we have an authority that Christ has given to us. That authority is sure. That authority is guaranteed. And we need not fear any circumstance or ever sharing our faith because our authority does not come from us. It comes from Jesus. Amen. There we go. We got Pentecostal. Hello. And when we have that authority and when we live in faith with that authority, we unashamedly share our faith with a culture that is going to reject us. One of the things that surely has died in the church is our ability to take our deep, lofty theological convictions and to bring them into everyday lives to everyday people and say, Jesus loves you. Jesus wants a relationship with you. Come and be with the Christ. This is the message we have. And that particular authority, by the way, I think it helps us see what kind of authority he has here. I mean, I mean, if I'm, if I'm Jesus and, and, and I've created people like God has and I haven't, praised the Lord, I'd be giving them power for sure, right? But it'd be different in my humanity. You, you get to fly. Bro, do you want to fly? You have authority to fly. Woohoo! Oh, change the world with flight, right? Hey, you're going to run really fast. You want to run really fast? Here's the gift. There's authority to run fast. Authority to be athletic. Authority to be a good businessman. Uh, authority to, to influence all of the corporate leaders. And authority to make money. He could have said that. He could say, I give you authority that you can go into the world and you can raise all these kind of funds so that the church can have really beautiful buildings and have really beautiful cars and really beautiful jet planes and you have really beautiful TV screens everywhere. Just, here's the authority to make money. He doesn't say that. The authority is specific. It's specifically to cast out demons and to heal the sick. Why is this important? Because it's an authority as to what I alluded to earlier that Jesus is all about when you worship him and give your faith to him. It's Jesus giving his disciples authority to give humanity back to those who've lost it. When evil and demonic power and sin and shame have identified the victim. They live in a world of darkness. Anyone who's ever dealt with chronic pain year after year will tell you at times they probably have asked God to just take them home. I mean, those of you who've, who've had your health and then had it taken away and you have found yourself in a hospital bed for a long amount of time, you know as well as I know, it seems as if your humanity has been stripped. I mean, isn't that to a certain degree? If we're really honest, that's what getting older is. As we get older, we lose our independence. We need someone to care for us. It seems as if through sin and decay, our humanity is being stripped away. Yet Jesus has given his church, he's given his disciples the authority to give people their humanity back. That is no small thing. This is an act of compassion. May we have faith in restoring people's humanity. We so easily dehumanize people. Twitter does it all the time. Social media obviously does it all the time. But then, in addition to having faith in his authority, we need to have faith in the faith family. This is why Jesus sends them two by two. Again, we have to look at what's not said just as well as what is said. 
It's interesting to me that Jesus didn't say, you're gonna go into the world and share the gospel with your rugged individualism. You're an American and you can do it. That's not what he does. But to tone down individualism and to take away this idea that I can go about it all by myself, Jesus sets up a, a way for them to be accountable. He sets up a way for them to be safe. And according to Jewish tradition, he sets up a way for them to be able to say this literally happened because there's two witnesses. Excuse me. We need each other. Remember, this is the foundational building of the church. Later in Acts chapter 22, it will say of the foundation of the church that these men devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles and to, just for our purposes this morning, fellowship. You need the church. Later in Acts chapter 22, it'll say, it says they attended the temple together. Don't go it alone. Oh, I love, okay, remember, I've, I've, I don't have the time to, to, to show you this morning as much, but we've, we've definitely touched upon it. Remember, throughout the Gospel of Mark, it reads a lot like a sandwich. You remember the, the, the sandwich theme that's covered throughout Mark? Right? It'll tell a story, and then in, the story will get interrupted, and we'll get to a new story, and then that story will conclude, and then we end up going back to the first story. It's throughout all of Mark. It's no different here. Chapter 6, we just read verses 7, what, through 13. And verse 14, we'll pick up on the next story, right? All of a sudden, there's a break in the story. And remember, the church is learning how to walk by faith in the face of persecution and opposition, which, by the way, the audience of Mark are being persecuted by Nero. So all of this persecution while sharing their faith is the backdrop. John the Baptist, for his faith, is what? He gets beheaded. That story ends abruptly, and then we go back to the story we're in. Look at chapter 6, verse 30. Keep this in mind with accountability and community. The apostles returned. So in between their time of evangelism, John the Baptist is beheaded. The apostles returned to Jesus, told them all that they had done and taught. So now granted, right, they come back. Right, they went out two by two, and they've come back. Jesus, you won't believe what we, what we just went through. And they're back with Jesus probably eating some fish. Jesus, we went into town and we shared, we shared the gospel with a dude by the name of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, he said he wanted to follow Jesus. And then they sit down. And like, I shared with a guy by the name of Bob and Jesus, Bob said some things I can't repeat here right now. Bob's really mad at me. Bob's really upset. Told me to go away. Right? He says, go share this with family. They get together. They share with Jesus everything that occurred. And then I absolutely just just the grace and the love and the goodness of Jesus in the midst of these guys working out their faith, sharing their faith, being rejected. I'm sure they're completely exhausted. And what does Jesus say to them once they return? Verse 30, chapter 6. Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. Right? Jesus brings us in. He calls us in. He sends us out. We get, we get dirty. We get beat up. Man, we, we share our faith, and it's hard, and it can be difficult. And then Jesus is always faithful to say, let's talk about it, and then let's go rest. This is another nap verse. We had one a little while back, a couple weeks ago, remember? I mean, this is another nap verse. Come rest with me for a while. And they embraced this accountability and this leadership. One pastor says it like this. You're never going to handle rejection of the world 
until you have deep relationships with other believers. The way that we get through sharing our faith and then being rejected is by doing this in relationship. Now, what's really cool, uh, in August, we've got a whole thing planned to do some evangelism training we're going to do at the church. Uh, we got people praying for you, and then we're going to send you out into the community to share your faith that weekend. So for those of you who are like, okay, I'm not going to just be a hearer of the word. I'll be a doer of the word. You might want to mark that down in your calendar. Number three. Let me kind of move quickly here so we have time to take communion together. Number three, we have to have faith and simplicity. Go lean and mean. I know looking at me, I'm not looking all lean and mean these days. But this is God saying to his disciples as he sends them out. What does he say? Take a staff. You can take sandals, but no bread, no money, and no tunic. And the tunic was what they slept in. So you don't have anything. You don't have a sleeping bag. You don't have a lunch bag. You don't have an overnight bag. You just go. Again, what's the purpose of this? I told you earlier. This is what the message is all about. You have to go by faith that Jesus is going to provide all of your needs including where you're going to stay and how much money you need, how much food you need, Jesus is going to take care of you. As James Edwards says, true service of Jesus, true service of Jesus is always characterized by dependence on Jesus. And dependence on Jesus is signified by going where Jesus sins despite material shortfalls and unanswered questions. How many of you are looking for all of the Answers and all of the boxes to be checked before taking that step of faith. That is the opposite of what he's telling his disciples to do here. He, he's saying, listen, you don't, if you remember about these disciples, how many of them have Bible degrees? None. How many of them have had any training with a Pharisee or a Sadducee or a scribe? None. I mean, these men are untrained men, but they have spent time with Jesus, and Jesus is telling them, be content with what you have. He doesn't even tell them to get a Bible study together. You know, it, this, is, this is one of those things, as he says in the book of Acts later, when you are arrested, when you are under persecution, and they bring you in before the rulers, don't worry about what you're going to say, because Jesus is going to tell you what to say when you need to say it. The Holy Spirit's going to speak to you. Church, what if... What if we lived and talked and acted with that kind of faith that when we speak the gospel, when we preach the gospel, and when we share who Jesus is, he has the power and authority to change people's lives with this simple basic message. This has to be the backbone of bringing people to salvation. You and I cannot live in fear. You and I cannot make excuses for not knowing or not sharing our faith. It's not complicated. It's not difficult. And it should not be something that is fearful. It should be something that we thankfully and gratefully get to do on behalf of representing the one who died for us. And if you really believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins, why wouldn't you share that with the people that you're standing in line with at Safeway this afternoon? Encouragement. I'm serious. How many of you have been with that particular Christian who knows how to stand in line at a place or sit at a table while they're being served and gently but powerfully and yet graciously share their faith with the store clerk or the person who's serving your table. 
You know what's so great about sharing the gospel with someone serving your table? It's a captive audience. They can't go anywhere. And they want a tip. Yeah, sure, I'll come to church. And beyond that, and what I'm trying to emphasize with the simplicity and with the faith, I don't want you to feel like, oh, Jesse's telling me I have to do this. I don't want you to feel like this is somehow going to unlock all the doors of, of any struggle you have. I just simply, in my mind, don't understand that if we truly hold the power of the gospel and we truly believe the power of the gospel, A, why don't we believe it? And B, why in the world would we not share that with anyone and everyone we possibly can? I don't get it. And, and, and I think in order for us to be what Christ has called us to be, remember the aim of faith, do you remember from Thessalonians? To give glory to Jesus. And I'm not sure if you're reading the same Bible as me, but Jesus seems to be really happy, really content, really satisfied, really glorified when a sinner realizes they need sanctifying from their Savior that is Jesus. Which leads me to number four. Have faith in the up and down process of sharing your faith. He's right there, right? You're going to go to a town. You're going to have success. Jesus basically says, when you go, go, let them care for you. Let them be hospitable. Like, like, and, 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 right? It's good, and you're sharing your faith, and they're receptive. But then Jesus also gives the elder illustration. He didn't tell them they're not going to be rejected. He's letting them know there are, they are going to be rejected. When you share your faith, you will be rejected. And on the heels of sharing that faith and being rejected, Jesus tells them to do this interesting Jewish tradition, which is to shake the dust off of their feet. And what they're literally doing was a couple different things. It was a Jewish practice. And typically if a Jew, for instance, for some God forbid reason, a Jew had to walk through the land of Samaria, which is where half Jews and half Gentiles were, and they got that dirt on their shoes, and then they crossed over to Judea, or they crossed over into their homeland, they would be seen in their culture as taking the filth and the sin and all the rotten uh, idol worship of, of that particular group of people into Judea. So they would literally, as they traveled home, they would literally shake all that dust off, call it unclean. And then they'd go back into their hometown. It was a way to say, we have nothing to do with their sin. But it was also a way of saying that I'm leaving you in the hands of God. God will judge you. God will handle you. God will deal with you. So that is to say, when you share your faith, you're going to have these moments where you share your faith and people come to Jesus. It's exciting. And then you're going to have other people who are going to cuss at you. And it's going to become really clear. This is a throwing your pearl to swine kind of moment. And you're going to shake the dust off your feet metaphorically. You're going to say, I've done what I can. God is going to handle the rest. Right? Because of the language we use here on occasion, that no matter where your background is, no matter what faith you may have, we do want you here. We want searching people here. We want Mormons here. We want Jehovah's Witnesses here. But I also have to be really, really honest that if you can be here for several years and still hold those, that faith, I haven't done my job preaching the true gospel of Jesus. So we want you here, but we want you here that you'll come to know the real Christ, that you'll know real forgiveness. And on occasion, what happens, and it's happened here, right, Rachel? It's happened here. People have come for a couple years. They can't reconcile their old faith with this faith, and they leave. And that's the deal, my friends. Jesus, at the end of the day, is going to be controversial. And not everyone's going to want him. Not everyone's going to want to be with him. So, enjoy the up and down ride. Last one that I'll share this morning. 
and I had I had I got another 30 minutes of material for you this morning but I know you got to go to Safeway and get your supplies and share your faith in line so we're going to close this up Last one have faith in the message even though it's bold G- Jesus came but before he came there was another man who prepared the way what was his name He's going to die in the next passage. John shows up on the scene in the Gospels. He preaches repentance. Jesus comes, his first message, repentance. The disciples are sent out, their first message, repentance. What is repentance? Ultimately, uh, this is a big part of what I wanted to share with you this morning, but I got to cut a bunch of it out. I'll shorten it to this. Ultimately, it's just changing your mind about God. It's saying, this is what the world says about God. This is what the culture says about God. This is where I've doubted God. I turn my back on that. I reject that. And I believe what the Bible says about God. And I believe what the gospel says about God. And when we proclaim the message of repentance, that's the message we're proclaiming to people in the line at Safeway or anywhere else. My dear sir, my dear ma'am, my dear young person, whoever that audience may be, would you change your mind of who Jesus says he is? And would you put your faith in him? I mean, that salvation is changing your mind about God. Is it that difficult and hard? No. Will you be persecuted? Yes. Is it worth it? Amen. Because the other thing we ultimately see about their faith, the disciples are radically obedient. They're faithful to be obedient to the call of God. Church, I've got to call you to obedience. Yes, your joy is attached to obedience. One of my favorite verses is in the very beginning of the Bible when Cain kills Abel. I know it seems weird. That's your favorite verse. And, And literally, when God comes to Cain, Cain's upset. That's why he killed his brother. And God says to Cain this one interesting line. Cain, if you do well, will not your, con- your countenance be lifted? You hear what he just said? That's repentance. If you do the right thing, doesn't it bring joy to you? When you live by faith, it will bring joy to you. And you'll stumble along the way. And that's why we can't end this message without mentioning the, the, the one message of the man who came to Jesus and said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And that might be you this morning. I don't even have faith. Well, thank God faith is a gift. And you can call out for that right now. You can simply call out right now to the Lord in the stillness of your heart or out loud because you don't care what anyone thinks. Lord, help me believe so I can be a part of change in the world with you, Lord. Um, team, if, Worship team, if you'd come up, if I could have my, my leaders come up and hand out the uh, elements, hold on to them until they're all passed out. Sorry for the little bit of a lengthier service this morning, but um, communion's worth it, and so is the word. So, Jeremy, yeah. You guys, go ahead and start. Uh, I need, yep, perfect. Oh, we're solid. This, you know there's a first service leaders? Go ahead. So just take a few moments of silence. Take a few moments of solitude. Brad will kind of strum a little something in the back, but just take some time to think. Pray. See, God, you, you know what I think is a good practice in a message like this in faith? Just go through the list in your mind of people that you believe Jesus wants 
to use you to save? Who in your mind pops up right now as communion's being handed out to you and God's telling you in faith, you've got to share the gospel with this person. In faith, you've got to share with them how much Jesus loves them. In faith, you've got to invite them to church. In faith. Because I, I, I think I think that the reason that Jesus has not sucked us into the heavens yet is because he still wants more people to come to the Lord. And I'm totally okay with that. And I might be paying $7 a gallon for gas, but people are getting saved. Let's take a few moments of silence.
So I want you to practice with me as best as you can. Because I know we're lingering a little later. I'm sure Joe's over there freaking out for his children's workers because there's all these kids next door. All the leaders are worrying, wondering where we're at. But I want you for a moment to just realize and think of the significance of what we practice, what we're practicing here in faith. That this isn't a small thing. I mean, imagine in Jesus' day, if you were one of his disciples, and this was the day, and you awake from your slumber, and you roll out of your bed, and, and as a disciple on the forefront of your mind, the anticipation of what may be in store as a follower of Jesus. Will today be a day he heals how many people? Today will he calm another storm? Will he walk on water? What is it that Jesus will do today? Only for that day to be what is called the Last Supper and for Jesus to state to his disciples that he will surely die. All of that faith and all of that hope crumbling down into this moment of this just simply cannot be the reality and the possibility of what this man will do. And it isn't until he shares with them this last supper practice that the, the wine is a representation of the blood he will shed for his church and the bread is a representation of his body which will be battered and bruised on our behalf. And now this morning we have rolled out of our beds and we get to sit here and practice this ancient tradition remembering the reality that Jesus took the punishment we deserve that he died on our behalf and it is my hope as we partake we do it in remembrance we do it as an act of worship we do it as an act of faith that we know that we're one with Christ but it's my hope after this day that just as the disciples rolled out of the bed to Experience the communion of Jesus and then the death of Jesus. And that as we have climbed out of our beds this morning to hear a great news and great message of Jesus, that tomorrow we will arise with the same expectation that because of his death and his resurrection, his blood and his body broken on our behalf, Lord, what do you have in store for me on this 4th of July? May it not just be another alcoholic beverage. May it not just be a celebration of independence, but may it be an opportunity to give you glory and share with as many people as I can how great my Savior is. Tomorrow's an opportunity to walk by faith when the rest of the world is walking by fear. Our feet are on stable ground, for we have built our house upon the rock. Would you stand with me as I pray and we close together? Lord, we say thank you for your death. We say thank you for your life and thank you for your resurrection. Thank you for reconciling us to the Father that we would live not by sight alone, but we would live by faith. Faith in you and that we would anticipate great change and great impact. Knowing, Lord, that you can use us and that our authority, Lord, isn't from ourselves, it's from you. And may we have the faith in that authority, for it is the same authority that raised you from the dead. We indeed are powerful in your hands, and we trust you for it as we partake together. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. Let me partake. His body broken for us.
God bless you. Have a great 4th of July. Be a good example to people around you. Have a great day. Do you want us to close right now? No singing? Do you want us to sing or no? Hey, friends, do you guys want to sing a song with us before we leave? Closing song? Okay, let's sing. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Holy, holy is He. Sing a new song to Him who sits on heaven's mercy seat. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. 